morning, Reality Church. It is a privilege and honor to be able to join you here today for service. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 43, that is where we will be for today's text. Uh, while you're doing that, Pastor John asked me to give a brief introduction. And uh, so my, my name is Kingsley. Nice to meet you. I'm one of the pastoral interns at Grace Toronto Church. I am uh, recording here in our uh, recording studio in our church building. And uh, it's a Wednesday. And uh, I am blown away that we have technology like this that allows us to record and and, and, and to, to do it in good quality and to be able to send it to you uh, for your Sunday service. Uh, I've been working at the church for about two years now, and about halfway through my seminary degree, uh, I, I, I was on staff at a hospital for about seven to eight years working as an x-ray tech before I came to Grace Toronto as a pastoral intern. And uh, yeah, in, in those seven years, that was just my opportunity to discern the calling, uh, to, to learn about the world, uh, to, to learn about uh, some of the things that people go through in the world. And uh, yeah, I, I like to joke with people and say that uh, my, my professional work at the hospital was my first seminary degree. And uh, only now do I get to dive into my, my second degree at uh, the, the, the school that I go to called Reform Theological Seminary. Well, anyways, at this point, I, I think you've heard all, all you needed to hear about me. Uh, we're, we're not here to hear about me. We're, we're here to hear about God. And we're here to meet with God. That's why you're here. And so I want to invite you to, to open up your Bibles and follow along as we read God's Word. Because this is how God speaks to us. God wrote this book for you and I to see him, to hear from him, and to meet with him. So let's read Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 43. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boats to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak, for she thought, if I touch his cloak, if I touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched me? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion, and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. 
They began laughing at him and putting them all out. He took along the child's father and mother and his own companions, and he entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talithakum, which translates, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately, they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we ask for your help today. We want to meet with you. We want to see you more clearly. And so give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to perceive. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing to you. Amen. Is there hope? This was the burning question five years ago for my 23-year-old patient. We'll call her Angela. EMS picked her up after she blacked out suddenly while on the phone with her dad that day. When she came to the hospital, her first brain scan revealed an invasive brain tumor, and she needed immediate operations. My job that day was to do her second brain scan for preoperative planning. And coming to the side of her stretcher and calling her name, Angela suddenly grabbed my arm And with desperate blue eyes, she said, no one will answer me. Is there hope for me? As we pondered and talked about her question, what it revealed was that her life offered many reasons to hope. The only problem was that none of these things seemed adequate in her darkest day of suffering. She had a deeper question beneath her question. The question, the real question facing her wasn't, is there hope, but where do I find lasting hope? We live in a world filled with suffering, and whether you're a Christian or a skeptic, this is the question you'll find yourself asking when you have been cut by the scalpel of grief, or when you have come toe to toe with suffering. Where do I find lasting hope? Mark's gospel answers this question by telling us where to go. He tells us to go to God. Revealing himself to be the Lord and King of our pain and suffering, Mark 5, 21 to 43 shows us that Jesus is where our everlasting hope is found. He shows us this in in two ways. Firstly, through the scope of Jesus' love. And secondly, through the depths of Jesus' deliverance. So we have two points today. First, the scope of Jesus' love. And secondly, the depths of his deliverance. Firstly, the scope of Jesus' love. In today's text, we come face to face with two people who have walked in a sea of suffering. The first is a synagogue ruler named Jairus. He's faced with unimaginable acute pain. The pain of watching his precious little girl slowly die, pride and dignity cast aside. With tears, he cries, come, my daughter is about to die. Maybe you can relate. Perhaps you've had to watch someone you love die recently. Perhaps it's an unexpected phone call and diagnosis you got this past week. 
Maybe it's not health-related, but you receive some devastating news. The second person we meet is a mysterious woman. She's known nothing but chronic suffering for an unrelenting 12 years. The Bible tells us in verse 25 that she has been bleeding for over a decade and spending all she had in hopes of being made well. The results of her appointments, nothing but disappointments. What's more sorrowful is that by Old Testament standards, because of her condition, she's considered ceremonially unclean and untouchable of society. Anyone who makes physical contact with her also becomes unclean. The result? Her condition has forced her into the shadows of society. She's unwanted. She's invisible. We don't even get to know her name. Is that your story? Silently suffering in the shadows of your pain, you feel alone. You feel rejected. Maybe you're sick and you tried all the medications, and you've seen all the doctors, you spent thousands of hours and thousands of dollars in options and operations that have left you feeling no better than before. Maybe it's your mental health, physical health, depression, cancer, infertility, loneliness, discontentment, a struggling marriage, fill in the blank. As we sit with Jairus and this mysterious woman, most of us can relate to one of them. Like them, we've sat with grief and we've drank with sorrow. And what God wants you to hear today is that whether it's unimaginable pain or unrelenting suffering, Jesus shows us that hope is found in him as we see the scope of his love. Commentators can't help but note Jesus' stunning response to Jairus and the woman. Let's look at Jairus first. Put yourself in Jairus, uh, sorry, put yourself in Jesus' shoes. You've just gotten off the boat. The salty air, the salty sea air mixes with the smell and sound of a loud and rowdy crowd as people are side to side, shoulder to shoulder, pressing up against you. And out of nowhere, a stranger falls before you, begging for your help. What do you think you would do in this situation? Christians, skeptics, what do you think you would do? Commentators are struck because they see Jesus doing something different from what most of us would do. Christina Hallett, clinical psychologist and director of clinical training at Bay Path University, notes the natural human response to human suffering. She says, when confronted with suffering, most of us would respond with comments like, think positively. Uh, this is things like, you got to think positively, mind over matter. Others will, will try to give advice to one another. Have you tried taking this method, uh, medication before? Have you tried doing this treatment? Some discount people's feelings. We say things like, you'll get over it eventually. Some trump people's pain. I've been through worse. I've been through something similar. This is what worked for me. Some diminish people's pain. You're not the only one suffering here. Others have it hard too. 
while our intentions may be good, you might notice that these responses are not adequate because they only skim the surface of our pain. Jesus doesn't do that here, though. He does something different. Let's look at Jesus' response. Hearing all that he needed to hear, Jesus takes the time to enter fully as he silently places one foot in front of the other. In great compassion, side by side, he enters into Jairus' world of suffering as he makes his way to his home. The word in verse 39, he entered, highlights the scope of his love as he doesn't just give inadequate words of comfort, but he drives into the depths of Jairus' pain. He enters. Let's look at the woman. We also see something striking here. Though Jesus could have dismissed the woman and let her slip into the shadows as she intended to, Jesus stops to ask, who touched me? Verse 30. Wanting to fully submerge himself into her silent world of pain and to display the scope of his love, Jesus delays the urgent work of saving Jairus' dying daughter to address this no-name woman. Consider the implications. Are you someone who thinks your problems are too small or too unimportant to bring to Jesus? Maybe you're too ashamed, or maybe you think he just doesn't care. Maybe you're a new parent, a lonely man or woman struggling with their singleness. Whatever it may be, or whoever you are, what does Jesus' actions show you here? That's right. He cares. Delaying the big thing for the seemingly small thing, the very important person for the not-so-seemingly important person, Jesus stopped for the woman. And he'll stop for you. He'll stop for you. This is the scope of his love for you. So application number one, go to him. Reality Church, whether it's unrelenting pain or unimaginable suffering, go to Jesus because he cares for you. Jesus shows us that hope is found in him by revealing to us the stunning scope of his love for us. And it doesn't stop there. Jesus reveals to us that hope is found in him by showing us also the depths of his deliverance. This is our second point, the depths of his deliverance. Here, Jesus reveals that he is not only after our partial deliverance, but rather he's after our complete, our whole and full deliverance. With the mysterious woman, remember what we said about the woman's position in society, about the woman's position in society, how her illness had made her an outcast by Old Testament standards. You might think that it's primitive, but it's actually not. Imagine someone you know has contracted COVID. And imagine they knock on your door, and they ask to come in. They've got a headache, a fever, runny nose, the whole shebang. What would you say to them? You'd probably say, eh, no, I don't think so. Go home, stay home, uh, maybe come back after your symptoms are, are, are passed, and maybe come back after you've gotten a negative COVID test, and actually after you got your vaccine, maybe then you can come over. We'd reject them. For this woman in our passage, 
This was her life for 10 years, pushed away, rejected by everyone. She's not only feeling crummy physically, but imagine the emotional, social, mental, and spiritual scars she carries because of this rejection. It's beyond heartbreaking. Yet in his desire to deliver this woman completely, Jesus in verse 34 speaks to her with glorious compassion and radiant kindness. Jesus delivers her fully and wholly as he speaks mind-renewing, soul-liberating, heart-refreshing words of grace. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? There's three things. He's naming her, he's blessing her, and he's assuring her. Speaking into her web of suffering, Jesus first names the woman when he calls her daughter. By naming her, commentators believe that Jesus is restoring her socially. Outcast as an untouchable of society, Jesus draws attention to this invisible woman. All eyes are now on her for the first time in 12 years. And in declaring her daughter, Jesus is saying in front of everyone, I see you, I acknowledge you, and I welcome you as one who belongs. Naming her, he's healing her socially. In saying, go in peace, he blesses her. Jesus' declaration of peace is a statement of restoration for her emotionally. Fear will no longer be her master. She will no longer need to hide in the shadows of her silent pain. She no longer needs to hide and fall at the feet of anyone but as a human full of dignity and beauty. She is welcomed into the light of day, naming her. He's healed her socially, blessing her. He's healed her emotionally, assuring her. Be healed of your disease. Jesus will also heal her mentally. See, unlike the treatments in the past which ended in disappointments, this encounter with Jesus will be different. She will no longer have to look back and wonder if her disease will return, if her social, uh, if her social and emotional nightmares will need to be relived. No, she is free. Jesus has delivered her physically and socially, emotionally and mentally. And lastly, he delivers her spiritually. When Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you, go in peace and be healed of your disease, scholars are convinced that Jesus' reference to the woman's faith signifies a change in the woman's status, her spiritual standing before God. Labeled unclean, this woman is ultimately unclean before God. At odds with God, Jesus declares, by faith you are healed. The word, the word healed can be translated also as saved in the Greek. It's another hint that there is something spiritual happening. Cleansed and healed, Jesus is saying, I declare peace before you and God. In other words, holy and fully I restore you. Do you see the depths of his deliverance? It's stunning. 
And if this isn't enough to convince you to go to God, see what happens next. After stopping for the woman, we find out that Jairus' daughter has died. And some readers are skeptical about this claim. Some think that the girl didn't actually die, that she was rather in a coma. But if you read Luke 8's account, uh, Luke in chapter 8, who's a doctor, affirms that this girl is in fact dead. He would know she's dead. End of story. In fact, everyone thought it was really the end of the story. The tyrant named Death had spoken. Jesus is too late. Everyone thought, what could you possibly do, Jesus? The answer is the same as what we saw with the woman. Jesus speaks. Three times, Jesus gives Jairus words of hope. Emily Dickinson, the famous American poet, once wrote, Hope is the thing with feathers. It perches in the soul and sings a tune without words and never stops at all. Jesus' words, if you look in verse 36, do not fear, only believe. And his words in verse 39, the child is not dead but asleep, are words that have feathers, that perches and sings in the soul, a tune that never stops. Imagine the spark of hope that inflamed Jairus' soul as he heard these words. Jairus must have thought, she is dead. Are you able to reverse the irreversible, Jesus? Are you able to save even the dead? Verse 41, yes. Jesus says, Talitha kumi, little girl, I say to you, arise. And just like that, by the word of his power, breath fills her lungs. Her little dead heart beats again. And in unparalleled, unrivaled power, Jesus shows the world that death doesn't have the final word. He does. See the depths of his deliverance, overcoming the unrelenting and irreversible pain. Jesus shows us that true, lasting hope is found in him. Now, I'm not unaware of the tension you're probably feeling with this text. In both cases, deliverance came shortly after meeting Jesus. And this isn't always the case for most of us. Sure, there are some stories of miraculous healings, but this isn't common experience for us. You might be wondering, why doesn't Jesus take away my suffering now? Why wait? Many have wrestled with the, with the problem of pain but have come up short in their explanation. I don't know if I can give you a deeply satisfactory answer. In fact, I think only God can answer that question. But that doesn't mean God has been silent either. Mark Jones, a biblical scholar, once described Jesus' miracles as visible sermons that convey deep spiritual truths concerning the person and work of Jesus. In other words, Jesus' work in Mark chapter 5 isn't an end in itself, but is a foreshadow of the greater work of deliverance that he will do at the end of the age. A work that ends, as Revelation 21, 4 writes, the world where he will wipe away every tear, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. How can that be, you might ask? 
If it's not clear enough with Jesus' miracles here, Jesus makes it clear for us when he died on the cross and during the scorn of man and the wrath of God, Jesus became a man of sorrow well acquainted with grief. Going to the cross, he welcomed the worst the world could throw at him, experiencing with his body and in his body both torment and suffering unimaginable. He endured so that he might not only sympathize with us, but so that he might show you and I who really is the Lord of suffering. Dying unto death, he died. But dying to death, Jesus died to defeat it, and defeat it he did. Declaring that the depths of the grave and all that is in between could not overcome the depths of his deliverance, Jesus in glorious, death-defying, resurrecting power raised himself from the grave, declaring himself the supreme Lord of the cosmos. Jesus reversed the irreversible. He canceled the power of pain. He silenced the sting of suffering forever so that he might have the final word the end of the age. Christians, skeptics, I want you to hear that there can be joy in suffering. In pain, there can be hope if you go to Jesus. Remember Angela, the girl who grabbed my hand and asked, is there hope That day was the worst day of her life. But that day was also the best day of her life. See, at my hospital, they allow us to engage, frontline workers to engage in spiritual conversations with patients if the patients bring it up. And so Angela and I explored her fears and her suffering. And in doing so, the topic of God came up naturally. She had many questions and many thoughts And asking me about my faith, I told her about a God who loves her beyond what she dared believe and a God who delivers to the uttermost, a God whose name is Jesus. Shortly after our conversation, uh, Angela asked me if I could pray with her. And what came from her was an unexpected prayer. Lord Jesus, she said, forgive me for living as though you never existed for only coming when I needed you most. Forgive me and come into my life, she prayed. No one taught her how to pray like that. She just had a heart filled with hope. And that hope carried her through her cancer journey. We might not have the answer to the problem of pain, But in Angela's case, the suffering gave rise to experiencing Jesus in a profoundly powerful way. And I'm not suggesting that you don't take your medications, your prescribed medications, or that you ignore wise medical counsel. If I didn't believe in it, I would have gone into the profession. But what I'm saying is this. If you want lasting hope, you need to go to Jesus. Christian skeptics, you need to go to Jesus. And if you have been going to Jesus, keep going to Jesus. Our best meds will only delay the inevitable. But if you want to rise in your suffering, run to him. Trust in him. Go to him. Applications. 
Well, this is our first application. Go to him. Go to him with your big thing. Go to him with the small things. More clearly stated, go to him in faith. Jesus mentions faith multiple times in our passage. The clearest time is with the woman. Your faith has healed you. Go to him in faith. What does that look like? Jairus and the woman show us. Look at how they put all their trust in Jesus with a humble heart. Notice how they don't go on demanding from Jesus his services, but much like, uh, they don't demand things from him, much like we do today in our day with our doctors. Rather, recognizing that Jesus owes them nothing, they fall on their hands and their knees, and they ask in humility. Christians, skeptics, going to Jesus in faith means we go with a humble heart. Another thing it means is that we go with a pest-like persistence. Look at Jesus' response starting in verse 35. I love this. Here we see the crowd say to Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why still bother, or a more little translation, why annoy the teacher? Jesus' response in verse 36 is striking. A more little translation of the text is this, refusing to listen. Refusing to listen. Jesus told him, do not be afraid. Only believe. Refusing to listen, Jesus didn't care what the people had to say about Jairus bothering him. He wanted Jairus to bug him. And he wants you to bug him. Trusting in Jesus or going to Jesus in faith means we go to him with a humble heart and a pest-like persistence. Application number two, Christians. Though this is not the main point of the passage, Jesus gives us an example of compassion to follow. Jesus shows us that we should, uh, sorry, pardon, Jesus shows us how we should treat the suffering. In this text, there are two crowds. The first told Jairus to stop bothering Jesus. The second crowd are, are weeping in one moment and laughing in the next Commentators believe that the latter group are professional mourners, people who are paid to mourn the dead, people whose compassion only skims the surface. Christians, we are to be different. Mourning with those who mourn and praying for the suffering, we listen genuinely to the needy and we enter into their pain so that we, like concierge of care, might bring the broken and the hurting to the feet of him who is able to truly heal. Who are the suffering around you? Reality Church, who are the suffering around you? Is there someone you know who is grieving? Is it a struggling young mother in your community, a frustrated new father, a lonely neighbor? Jesus gives us an example of compassion to follow, so let us follow him. Lastly, application number three, our final application. Rejoice. Rejoice. Death has been defeated. Suffering has been silenced. The power of pain has been crushed. Your darkest day and blackest night has an end in sight. It ends with Jesus standing before you, crowned with glory arms open wide, welcoming you into an age where there will be no more crying and no more tears, no more pain and no more fear. Suffering and death will disappear. Christians, 
Let your heart sing, for this is the age of our coming king. Rejoice. And skeptics, the solid joy awaits you if you would but go to Jesus in faith. Rejoice. Well, as we conclude, the question we set out to answer today was not, is there hope? But where do I find lasting hope? Our answer? True lasting hope is found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are a living hope. And my prayer is that this reality would become the reality of reality church. Turn our eyes to you. Help us to come to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.